It's Tom Pandich here, recording once again for the Shonen Dump Podcast. And with me, I am very blessed today to have a giant in the anime industry. Literally. You are a very tall yeah, man. I'm both tall and broad. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Who's with me today? Uh, hi, folks. Uh, my name is Mike Toole. I'm uh, the editor-at-large for Anime News Network, and I also do some production work for Discotech Media. And I have been an ardent fan of Japanese anime since, like, 1994, which I'm sure is longer than some of you have been alive. So, uh, yeah, this, this stuff has been ruining my life ever since. So let's, let's talk about some of it. I refer to Mike as Justice. Hmm? Yeah, you're Justice. Um, because if you're not Justice, then you're a banana. <laughs> I'm I'm okay with being Banania, man. Oh, God, that's so Bana- good. Hey. When they announced you as the dub voice for the narrator in Banania, mm-hmm. I was just taken aback because you are one of the smoothest talking people in anime, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned. And well, I just- I have had some training. I actually come from a, bra- a background in broadcasting, and it was funny because you know when that aired originally, like my wife was like, you know, you should try to dub this. You could do it, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Everyone tells me that. Then the opportunity fell into my lap like eight months later. So now, have you done any other voice work than the dub on Banania? Uh, no, not for anime. Um, I mean, I've done narration for documentaries that we've produced at Discotech, and uh, certainly plenty of commentary tracks. I actually got started mm-hmm. voiceover doing uh, like local TV commercials when I was a teenager. I never kept any of this stuff, which is too bad because not only is there a couple where I narrate, there are a couple where I sing. Um, yeah, oh, wow. yeah. I, I, We've all heard your golden pipes <laughs> on the Crunchyroll holiday specials. Yes, as well. yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was a fun opportunity to stretch out. That was uh, that was another that was another serendipitous thing. They were like, "Hey, do you want to come host to this?" And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great." Then they had me write and produce the whole thing too. So it was uh, quite an experience. Yeah. And then they invited you back again yeah, for another Yeah, one. I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Guess I fooled them. <laughs> yep, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Uh, okay, so the format of the show, since it's been a bit since we've recorded anything new, is that we always introduce the guest, we talk about an anime, but before we do that, we talk about a subject completely unrelated to anime. And seeing as that we are deep in the heart of soccer fever... We're going to talk about the Gold Cup because Americans men's soccer is the most important soccer that's going on right now, right? Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not talking about the Gold Cup. We're talking about you the know, Women's Thomas, National Cup. Thomas, you had Cup. me there for a second. I was just like, wait, well, oh, God, I'm going to have yeah. to pivot here. I mean, I've been watching the Gold Cup. Well, originally, <laughs> originally, I was going to talk about MLS, yeah. but I mean... And I am not a soccer fan by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, I mean, if you're an American soccer fan, it seems like women's soccer is the soccer to at follow. At the moment, for sure. I mean, right now, MLS is on hiatus because of the Women's World Cup. Yeah. Good, and, good. And also That's the Gold Cup. That's where the focus should but be. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, fair enough. Um, did you watch the game between the U.S. and Sweden today? Uh, I caught the second half. I uh, unfortunately did not okay. get to see that opening goal live, but uh, I saw enough of the game to uh, to kind of see what I needed to see. My God, the U.S. is strong this cycle coming out of the game. Oh, my goodness. It is ridiculous how strong the United States is. So I'm um, hoping to have this out before Monday, before the round of 16. Mm-hmm. So the United States just finished the group stage um, in first place yep. and number one in, overall in the tournament by goal differential Mm -hmm. they played sweden who sweden i would say is like definitely maybe a top five absolutely Absolutely. i mean yeah i would say top five or top six for sure yeah and the u.s beat them two nil it was definitely a difficult group pairing both teams are going on to the round Mm -hmm. of 16 i heard it floated that um it may have been better for the united states to lose this game because they have a much harder draw in the knockout yeah. round now because they're mm-hmm. against 
uh, France in the quarter and potentially England in the semis. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking frankly, we should we should be able to beat those teams, you know? Yes. I mean, the way the United States played today, again, if you're a jingoistic American, which in some extent most of us mm-hmm. are, but you're for your jingoistic American who really loves America, you should really be watching the Women's World Cup because it is incredible how good these women are. The score today was 2 nothing. Um, excuse me, 2-0. Gotta get my soccer terminology mm-hmm. right. But the United States absolutely dominated the Swedish team, which felt kind of good because were you paying attention during the American uh, during the Summer Olympics 2016? Oh, oh, sure, yeah. So in case you don't follow women's world soccer, and honestly, I don't follow women's world soccer. Mm-hmm. It's just that the World Cup is going on right now, and it's very interesting because this is one of the few things that Americans can really say is that they're really ahead in the world of pretty much everybody. But they were knocked out of the Olympics by the same Swedish team in 2016 in the quarterfinals, so they didn't even make the medal round, which is pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah, that, uh, that was a little surprising for sure. In any event, 2-0, um, they had beat Thailand, and who was the other team that they beat? Oh, it was, um, what's it called, uh, Chile. Chile. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they beat Thailand by a record-setting amount. What was it? Twelve nothing. Thirteen to nothing, I think. Yeah. Oh jeez. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're relentless. Um, tied, that, yeah, they tied for the most goals ever in a World Cup mm-hmm. game. They tied in the group round for most goals ever by a World Cup team. Yeah. And they had serious competition. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, Sweden beat them within the last two years, so it's interesting. Yeah. Right. Do you follow any of the other teams in the World Cup? Uh, for women's soccer, I mean, I, I keep an eye on them. Um, you know, certainly, I think uh, France have have a very strong team this time. Germany are always mm-hmm. uh, contenders. Germany, in particular, the, the player I'm looking for, they, they got a young forward named Clara Buell, uh, and she's huge. She's like five ten, five eleven in a sport where the uh, average player is maybe five five, five six. And she's 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 uh-huh, just eighteen uh-huh. too, so this is this could be her tournament. So I'm curious about her, and I'm also I have a lot of affinity for the Japanese team because uh, yeah, the Japanese team made the finals last yeah, World Cup. Yeah, correct? and we we beat them pretty comprehensively. And in the World Cup before that, they made the final, and uh, they beat us in a really compelling, classy way. Uh, it was very uh-huh, entertaining uh-huh. stuff. And that that generation of their players is uh, is going into retirement, and they've got some strong newer players. So, yeah. so they're, you know, the, the player I'm watching, they, got a, they have a forward named Mana Iwabuchi. She's 27, and she's been a favorite of mine for a couple of cycles because uh, she's, she's like a creative, uh, you know, kind of a style player. Um, but she's always been an outsider on the squad. This is the first time she's, you know, consistently getting starting uh, assignments, and she's scoring goals. So mm-hmm, this, could, mm-hmm. this could be a good tournament for Japan as well. So looking at the bracket, mm-hmm. it looks like the United States is playing Spain in the round of 16. Mm-hmm. On Monday, yeah. then they're playing the winner France Brazil, and then they're looking to play potentially who comes out of Norway Australia England Cameroon. Mm-hmm. I heard that this was the first tournament in the Women's World Cup that two African teams have come out of. Yeah, I mean, t- typically, I mean, the powerhouse women's team uh, in in African soccer is Nigeria, but they've always been kind of an underdog. But yeah, this is the first time they've had mm-hmm. a couple of teams. Uh, you know, make moves in that respect. Because it was, it was Cameroon, you said, came out of the... Uh... Cameroon's playing England in okay, the round yeah, 16, yeah. as far you're, as yeah, I believe you're it. right, then. I believe it's traditionally just Nigeria who gets out of the uh, opening rounds. Yeah. Okay. Um, quick yeah. question. One of the things that's usually levied against uh, men's soccer is that... And I don't think this is entirely mm-hmm. fair but it's something that's definitely a stereotype of soccer. But there's the whole aspect of flopping. I really don't see that in women's soccer, the few matches that I've watched. Mm -hmm. It seems like when there's a collision between women, it's an actual collision. And Well, I mean, there's much in the men's... I was going to say, uh, sorry to to, to run over you, but in the men's game, there's just a culture of of gamesmanship and cheating that is kind of just not really... It doesn't really seem to be there. In the women's game, uh, you know, not not professionally, not I've, I haven't seen that happen much in club teams. 
haven't seen it happen much at the collegiate level. Uh, you know, not violence and not simulation either, not diving. It's just, that's not to say it never happens, but it just doesn't seem to be common. Mm-hmm. It's pretty refreshing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like, I won't say that one sport is harder than the other, but it seems like, at least with women's soccer internationally, they seem to try to let things play out. And if somebody has a hard collision, it's a hard collision, but they try and get up. And they, it's more, again, less gamesmanship, the way you put it, is probably the best way yeah. to put it. Yeah, I mean, the most notable example of a team kind of cheating and acting uh, acting a little off is, you know, the famous example of in the, the 20, uh, 2011 World Cup of Brazil trying to run out the clock against the U.S. and that spectacularly backfiring against them because we equalized at the last minute and won in penalties. And, and, if they, and if they hadn't wasted all that time, we wouldn't have had those last couple of chances. The referee would have ended the game. So, you know. But yeah, they, they're, they're, okay. they're, I mean, Brazil are a tough team like that. Coming out of the group, I would look for that kind of physical and occasionally a little underhanded play from them. Uh, they can be entertaining in that way. Right. So to break it down a little bit further, um, at least with the Women's World mm-hmm. Cup, you would say America's the favorite, yep. probably. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say... Um, Goal differential, mm-hmm. um, just repeating, potentially. Just sheer talent and, and what the squad has shown. Uh, I would, I would mm-hmm. say the U.S. Is, uh, is, is a clear favorite, but not a particularly heavy favorite. I would also tip Germany, uh, Norway... France, uh, you know, once once you get beyond those teams, uh, and and this is the first time that I would say France are could be considered, uh, you know, kind of a favorite just because they've had a terrific set of opening games, and uh, you know they've beaten the U.S. and friendlies recently, and they're playing at home. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you can't take back the whole idea that the French are a home team yeah. in this. That usually tends to at least boost the team yep. to at least the knockout round. Mm-hmm. But the French seem like they could potentially do something in this cup. Um, So you would say we're looking at Germany-United States final with Japan potentially as a dark horse coming out of the other side of the bracket? Yeah, Uh, Japan is a potential dark horse. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, you were talking about England uh, coming in, but who who would England have to beat to get to us? Because I I, I find that a little hard to believe. They're they're way better than the... England is up against Cameroon yeah. in the round of 16, and then the winner of Norway, Australia in um, yeah. the his, quarters. His, I haven't watched Norway recently, but historically, I would honestly expect them to take both of those games. But we'll, but we'll see. Okay. We'll see. England have gotten better rapidly in like the past five or six years. There's, there's been a blossoming of the sport at the club level uh, in, in the nation itself, and that's been hugely helpful for mm-hmm. them. Like they act, the, professional, the professional teams are actually becoming important in English soccer, which that didn't used to be a given. You know, they used to be kind of scorned. Yeah. Okay. One thing that I wanted to briefly touch on, and I don't know how comfortable you're talking about mm-hmm. this, but one of the issues that's come up and always comes up during these World Cup uh, playoffs is the disparity in pay between the men and the women. Yeah. Because the women make... Um, the United States about four times what the men yeah. make, but then are making about a quarter of what their pay scale yep. is. And the men are the American men are making basically the minimum on the national stage, whereas the American women are usually maxing out how much they can make in FIFA World Cup play. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the the women should be, uh, you know, there there should be something approaching pay parity because the you know the the women are. They've been more beneficial to the sport of soccer uh, in the U.S., especially lately they, with the men's team kind of belly flopping in the in the past couple of cycles. Yeah, I mean, missing the World Cup last oh, cycle. Oh, that was terrible. That's I mean, uh, I, I love my team, but that's been calamitous. It's been really hard. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely inexcusable. I mean, the year before that, it looked like they were making, or the four years before that, it looked like they were making progress, making what was it, the quarters? Yeah. Uh, no, no, they, uh, you know, they they made the last uh, sixteen, the last two World Cups before they were uh, they didn't make it, but the, yeah. they were they were becoming consistent. They were becoming a team that you would expect to get through the uh, get through the opening rounds and get and and get and, you know, maybe get past the round of sixteen. It's one thing to not make the knockout round, but it's a completely separate thing to completely miss the World <laughs> yeah. Cup, especially with teams that the United States would often be faced against. Yeah, I mean our. 
people I make mean, fun of the CONCACAF region of North and Central America. I think I think it's harder to play here than than uh, you'd give it credit for. But we should, the U.S. should always be in the mix in a World Cup with the way the qualification cycle works. I mean, it was it, it was not just well, disappointing; it was just baffling to see them miss it the way they did. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's the the best athletes in any given country? Any other given country usually go to soccer versus the United States, where our uh, best that, that's, are going. That to... theory is floated a lot, and I think there's there's some merit to it um, because you know the, the, it's always just like, well, what if LeBron played soccer? And it's like, yeah, well, I mean, he might be pretty good. I think it's more a question of uh, of development. Uh, in in other countries, they start mm-hmm. them younger, and they uh, they expect more of them. They have they have more academies, more centers of excellence. And, uh, and, and and they get their results faster that way. Okay, because honestly, I'm a high school teacher mm-hmm. as my yeah. day job. So one of the things that I've seen is that kids, I mean, it's a joke that 6 to 12-year-olds are constantly playing soccer. So it's not like there's a lack of mm-hmm. um, interest from yeah. them. And uh, two or three years ago, my high school actually won the Florida State Championship and was ranked number one in the United States in Mm -hmm. soccer, for whatever that's worth. I don't know if that actually matters at all. But it it just seems like the United States has always been knocking on the door, but can't seem to put together a team that's, I don't know, that's really competitive on the international level. Yeah, I mean... Beyond what they it's, should be. It's a question of, of priorities and also long-term planning because lately, like in the last few cycles, it feels like it's the federation, the U.S. Soccer Federation. There's just been a fight between some folks who think that we should be sending our young players abroad to the bigger leagues as quickly as possible and the other folks who think that we should keep as much talent as possible in MLS to make our league stronger because that in turn would make our national program stronger. And I think they both have merit, but it's just... I don't know. I don't know. It's complicated because it's like I, I came in to soccer fandom uh, in, in the late 90s and early 2000s when we just had this amazing group of players where you had like you had guys who were playing in the big teams in Europe who were, you know, who were playing for uh, for Celtic and, 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 for, and playing in the Champions League and playing for Manchester City. Then we had these guys who were just scrubs in MLS and somehow in 2002 in particular, they just came together and were absolutely magical uh, and have, mm-hmm, haven't quite mm-hmm. managed to reach those heights again. And I, I don't. I don't know what the answer is, but I, I think uh, I think we're okay. going in the right direction in a general sense. But it's just been frustrating, and mentally the team has just been uh, a mess. I mean, the team that we're sending to the Gold Cup, who's playing currently, they're, they're, that's a pretty good team. But you you can see them kind of struggling. Like they used to the opening the friendlies they had before they lost the opening game against Guyana. It was like five to nothing, but. I remember them playing teams like that and you know winning those games you know seven eight nine to nothing. Yeah, yeah. And making it look very easy. How do you feel about the? How do you feel about the MLS's league right now? I mean, we're never going to approach the Premier League in at least this year. Yeah, it's it's a mistake but... to try and to compete with the with the Premier League. It's you know we sh- we should be building our own uh, our own phenomenon, and I think I think we've made a lot of the right moves for that, and. Uh, the, I'm I'm getting a little concerned about the rate of expansion because MLS just continues to add new teams. I think they're going to be up to 24 or 25 in another year or two. Mm-hmm. So it's going to become a question. The schedule is going to get so crowded, it's going to become a question of, okay, is it going to have to split into like an East Coast and West Coast league where, you know, they, they only, you know, the teams only play opposite coastal leagues in, in like the finals or something like that. There's a question. Mm-hmm. There's a question mm-hmm. of that. There's a question of should Major League Soccer look to unify with the lower leagues and establish a system of promotion and relegation. I think that would be a good idea, but uh, the, the way sports ownership works in America, uh, I don't think you're going to get a lot of support for that, at least not in the near term. Yeah. I mean, where I live, um, I think my local team in Jacksonville, Sierra yep. Mata, and we're relegated to a lower league right now. Yeah, yeah. and the thing is, you know, you, you um, can't get promoted by winning games in in American soccer. You get promoted by building a fan base, getting some money, getting new ownership and then and then uh, you know, buying your way into MLS. That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah, and that doesn't seem I mean, American soccer just if you're a sports fan in general, mm-hmm. I mean, American football, American basketball, it just seems like the whole notion of promoting teams and 
losing teams in like double A baseball. It's really entertaining like to think about, right? It's it's entertaining to think about because yeah. you think, oh well, like the la- the bottom two teams in in uh, in the major in Major League Baseball, oh they have to become triple A teams. Then, yeah, that would be an interesting way to shake things yeah, up. Certainly. But I don't I don't think you could get any of the ownership groups to buy into that because no one wants. No, absolutely. There's no one no, wants to say that they're billion so dollar. Money yeah, no one it. wants to be told, oh, if your billion dollar franchise has a really bad year, you're suddenly going to be in the minors. You know. I mean, it's certainly an interesting way to look yeah. at it. Historically, it seems like mm-hmm. the only way for sport, because if I remember correctly, in the Premier League, because that's the only other uh, soccer league that I'm familiar with, teams typically are owned by generational, uh, like multi-generational teams well i mean the the way the arc of ownership in uh in not not just english soccer but european soccer is they started as as local projects by by just you know local ownership groups and a lot of them still are and and as the as the sport has gotten more expensive they've been bought up by conglomerates by these rich you know russian and uh and saudi arabian oil oligarchs you know Uh but since they have the history of relegation Mm -hmm. It's not like they're going to change things anytime soon yeah. with that. Yeah. I mean that they, they. I mean Europe has its own problems where soccer at a high level is is outrageously expensive just to operate a team, let alone a competitive one. Yeah, it's kind of it's that kinda and um, FIFA in general is corrupt. just <laughs> the most corrupt organization imaginable. Yeah. Um, but to I mean to get back to the women's game and and development. Um, to that, I would say that I feel like this cycle, yeah, the team is, is very strong, but I'm concerned that we don't have enough obvious young stars in the program. Like the last couple, the last mm-hmm. couple of cycles, you look at the players who are starting to shine now, like Crystal Dunn, Mallory Pugh, um, you know, Rose Lavelle. They're, we've known about them for a cycle or two already. It was obvious they were going to be a big deal. But like Megan Rapino, Carly Lloyd, Sauerbrunn, uh, th- that generation is going to be retiring after this one. And I'm kind of wondering who's coming up next, you know? Yeah. What's the type of thing where, at least in the group stage, it doesn't seem like the Americans got a lot of people out there to be experienced, especially today's game with yeah. Sweden. Well, I mean, it's... They use, all, they use all three subs, but it was mostly their starting lineup. Well, I mean, the, the team is stacked. I mean, the, the game... The yeah. game against Chile, uh, like you know, I actually got to watch that because it was on the weekend. That was just like we rotated the team and had a lot of uh, a lot of roster players who didn't get to play in the first game, and it was just like that was still such a strong side. Well, it'll be interesting to watch. Hopefully, the United States will win back back cups this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but would, we shall would see. Would be nice. Would be nice. Yeah. American sports success. I mean. There really isn't too many other international sports. I mean, the NBA during the Olympics is relatively international. Well, but... basketball now does have strong professional leagues in Europe and notably in China and Australia as well. It's just... The... Yeah, yeah. It's, we are starting to reach a point where collegiate players who can't quite break into the NBA actually have other options, and I think that's good and that's a healthy thing, but... Uh... We're not mm-hmm. at a point where, you know, like Barcelona, who are one of the, str- the strongest teams in, in, uh, in European basketball, you know, they couldn't come in and play an NBA team and expect to do that well. We're, yeah, we're that not makes there sense. yet. And that'd be kind of, that'd be kind of cool still, if still, we the leagues are growing. Yeah. And nobody cares about the NFL outside of the United States other than a couple of odd placements. They play it in China, and they play it in Mexico. And um, I think... Th- I, th- yeah. I think Japan technically has a professional league, like a six-team league. But yeah, yeah the Devil Bats. <laughs> I've seen them. They're very good, very talented yeah. team. The Devil <laughs> yes, Bats. yes, they have a. They made it to coach. They, they have a mysterious running back with an eye shield. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, uh, let's move on to the main topic after our break. Thank you so much for talking soccer with me, Mike oh, Tool. It's my pleasure. Um, I got to say, honestly, probably would have been better to get your partner on here because I think she knows more about women's soccer than you do. But that's so we both watch everything. Man, I've seen those banners that you guys bring to the New England Revolution games. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. That's all that's all her. I've I've painted one or two myself just to prove that I could do it. But she cranks out like at least half a dozen every season. Oh, it's outstanding. You should follow Mike Tool. 
And do you mind if I give your wife's uh, yeah, Twitter? Yeah, she is Hoover underscore Dam at uh, on the Twitter. Yes. And, just uh, her her latest work that has been burning up the stadium is uh, she has a pop team epic themed banner that. Uh, yep, and it's great. Jump, it makes it's the great. jumbotron pretty much every weekend because she uh, she switches out the logo of the opposing team every time. It's very fun. Yep, it's fantastic. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a break, play a little music for you, and we will be back with burn up. Okay, so in the 1990s, everybody in Japan thought cops are cool, so they made a bunch of animes about cops. Future cops. And the best of those anime, future yeah. cops, and the best of those animes, probably you're under arrest. Well, that's... Or Pat Labor. That, 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 yeah, Pat Labor. maybe... Pat Labor of the future cops. AD, there's AD yeah. police. Um, AD police we covered on this podcast already. Nice. Um not great helicopter pilots, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. There weren't any helicopters in the AD police OVAs, but let's not you know let's not forget fair like Appleseed. Although I'm not entirely sure. Appleseed was that OVA 90s or was that like 88 or 89? Who maybe, can say? Maybe just I the mean, wrong if, side. If if there's a computer that could look this information up quickly, it would be nice. But we do not live in such time in 2019. We don't. So, Burn Up. Gotta say, Burn Up, kind of an accidental franchise, in my opinion, because the original Burn Up OVA is not good. Well, I mean, I actually, uh, I'm a big fan of the studio, AIC. Uh, this was this uh-huh. was kind of made during their golden age. They uh, they haven't had a lot of their own productions in recent years, but they were, they were the Tenchi Muyo people. They were the Bubblegum Crisis people mm-hmm. back in their heyday, and... Uh, I pulled my copy of AIC Chronicle, which was a book that was published, I think, in 1998 or 1999 that had a complete dictionary of everything that ever released. And I think what says it all about the original Burn Up OVA is that I've turned to the Burn Up section, and the OVA is a tiny, tiny inset. Uh, the two the two page color section is devoted almost entirely to Burn Up W, uh, which which you know is a more modern uh, incarnation with kind of a different spin on the on the on the formula of you know police girls in the future. Yeah, W's was a more entertaining series. I, I'm not super familiar with Burn Up. I've watched Burn Up, obviously, because we're talking about it. I think I saw a couple of episodes of Burn Up XS. Yeah, I've, I've watched. Back in the I watched day. that whole thing, and I actually I even saw like the most recent one, which I think was 2003 or 2004. Burn Up Scramble. Burn Up Scramble was that late? Oh wow. yeah, yeah. That was uh that was digital animation. I remember that much about it. And uh, yeah, Burn Up in general is like I look at it and just like AIC just decided this had to be a franchise for some reason. They were in the business of making a lot of franchises out of their stuff. Yeah, yeah. and. With some success, you know, Ten- Ten- Tenchi, yeah. obviously, El Hazard. Battle athletes yeah, is great. Yeah, I mean, they did have this whole approach in the in, in, through the 90s where they would make a OVA version of something and then a TV version of something. So this is, I guess this kind of fits into that strategy. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking what they've made recently. Just basically Tenchi Muyo things. <laughs> yeah, right. And and I, I I think they still do plenty of subcontracting work, but they don't they don't produce okay. a lot of stuff themselves. But hey, you know, burn up, man. Uh, the cream of uh, March 21st, 1991. Made it to the United States very quickly after that release. Oh. Anime Ego released it in 92, I believe. Subbed. Uh, no, no, it's actually ADV Films. Or Division, as they were then known. And uh, I think the subtitle version was 94. I did get... Okay, I'm looking at Wikipedia. It says 92, Anime Ego released it 
English subtitles dub was 94 by ADV. Yeah, well that that was not a split studio release man. That was always ADVision. So don't 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 really? don't trust All the right. Wikipedia. That's a problem with the Wikipedia man. Everything is on there but you can't treat it as a primary source. You always got to cross reference. Okay. Well, you know what? I've got to yell at Robert Woodhead if he ever comes on the podcast. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's his fault. It's whoever say, edited, edited the uh, Wikipedia. Article. You know what? <laughs> It ends with yeah. him, honestly. Yeah, but uh, the the All dubbed right. version of uh, Burn Up did uh, that came out in October 1995. Now, what was your experience with Burn Up in terms of the dub and the subtitle? When did you see it? Well, I actually saw it originally. I mean, not too long after it came out, because I think it came out in in like 1994. And that was when I went to college and joined the local anime club at uh, UMass Amherst, Um Jams, the University uh-huh. of Massachusetts Japanese Animation something something. Anyway, Uh someone had like the big clamshell case, uh, original subtitled release, and it looked really cool. There were these sexy, there was like a sexy blonde police lady on the cover, and we're like, all right, yeah, man, let's do it. And we watched it, and uh, (laughs) people were fighting to stay awake. Yeah, yeah. Burn Up is. Well, Burn up is a show. Well, well, I mean, so what? What's our story? It's you know we have three uh, police girls, Maki, Yuka, and Remy, and uh, they're the backup SWAT team. Which is like, is that a real thing? <laughs> yeah, and honestly, with Maki riding around on a motorcycle the entire time, it it Japan just seems to think American police officers are superheroes in a sense mm-hmm. that they can do whatever they want. And well, go by well the can't they? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's something kind of unpleasantly coming true. But um, yes, unfortunately. But uh, you know, then late, you know, they're 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 chasing down uh, an organized crime ring, a uh, human trafficking ring, but led by the devious McCoy. Yep, McCoy leads the human trafficking mm-hmm. ring, involved as the subtitles put it in white slavery, yes. which is the most devastating type of slavery. Of course, of course. Picking girls Not off, just slavery, off white slavery. Floor. Now, for it to be white slavery, this was in America. Did they ever mention what city it was in? Uh, no, no. I mean, I, I, I never even tried to reconcile this with a real place. I, uh, okay, I, fair I just enough. assumed it was all kind of I mean, made up. I'm just getting Mad Bull flashbacks that even though that was 1980s New York, I could see this being like, I kind of got a Chicago vibe from... Yeah, I mean, but Mad Bull was really specific. That was Precinct 34 of New York City, Jackson Heights, baby. Yeah, and it was a documentary filmed in real time and then animated later. So, Burn Up is, I don't know, Burn Up's just really Well, I mean, I I would say that it's like AIC decided to make a porno, but then they forgot to animate the actual dirty stuff. That's kind of what it felt like to me. Yeah. That's very true. Uh, I mean, because like the girls, eventually they they have to suit up and put on their cool uh, SWAT team armor, and the SWAT team armor just looks like dominatrix outfits. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you if and you look at the staff, it's I, not accidental. It's uh, there's some there's some crossover there. The uh, the character mm-hmm. designer specifically it was like, I don't know what the deal is with this guy. His name is Kenjin Miyazaki, and I could find no other animation credits for him, uh, which made me think that he uh, he was maybe a manga artist. But no, there's not a lot of info about him. Under the name Kenta Miyazaki, he was the character designer for a show called Lemon Angel, which was uh, actual pornography that aired on television. Okay. So, so there's there's a connection there. How does that work in Japan? Uh, Lemon Angel was like a late night five minute comedy where there would be a brief the brief okay. flash of nudity and some body jokes, and that would be that. It's it's just right, it's surprising that it's surprising in that yeah they they would just air this on TV late at night. Game back to the plot. It seems that. Who's the villain in this? McCoy? Mm-hmm. Norio Wakamoto. Okay, Norio Wakamoto cool does voice. the voice of him. Yep. McCoy is engaging in white slavery, picking girls up off of his club. Mm-hmm. The police are unable to do anything except they go in and just basically start fucking around. Well, I mean, with they it. have they do have a futuristic space disco scene, and those are usually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, this shit. This should be better than it actually, yeah, actually is. And, and all things the, considered. The space disco thing also makes me remember the thing that makes me angriest about Burn Up, which is that during the dance floor scene, 
there's like this weird, you know, kind of rap song in English playing in the background. And I swear to God, I, I went back and watched a dub of this recently to refresh my memory. And I thought they must have, they made this for the English version, right? What's in the original Japanese version? So I switched to that. And no, it's the same song. It's just, just like, oh god, they had some like uh, you know foreign talent person to do, do a song for their thing, and I checked the credits, and it's not there. And you know, I, I checked the chatter on Japanese boards about it, and it's not there. And I looked in AIC Chronicle, and it's not there. It's like, who the hell sang this? Fair enough. Okay, can you explain something I, to I me? I can try because Burn Up is relatively near future science fiction, yeah, right? Yeah. There's a scene where. One of the girls, I think it was Yuka, mm -hmm. goes into a club and it's filled with aliens and monsters and all sorts of nonsense. Mm -hmm. What was that all about? Because otherwise it's just like near future, on Earth, I, this is going on. I mean, on. I, I, I went in there thinking it was like a fetish club thing. I mean, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't think those were actual uh, space people. Yeah, because okay. you know you didn't get you didn't really get that much of a cosmic vibe from the rest of it. It just felt like it was kind, no, kind of futuristic, it, right? Yeah, and it, again, I'm not familiar with other Burn Up spinoffs, so it could potentially yeah, go they, off. Yeah, they they are not they are not aliens in Burn Up W or X or Scramble. So, yeah, yeah. My 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 take on that is just like no, those were people in in weird costumes going out clubbing. Okay, that's a little weird. Yeah. I mean, you're more familiar with the 90s science fiction scene than I am. Yeah, yeah, but... Uh, Would people dress up in Japan and go out to clubs? Well, I mean, people do that all over the world now and go out to clubs. Yeah, but would they have done that in 90s, early 90s Japan, I, which would then be... I don't be see why not. ...extricated to... Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, pe people people dress up in silly shit, I mean, as, as long as I've been around. And... All right. I don't make it to the clubs very often, honestly. It's kind of a sad thing. Not that eh, sad. I mean, if, it, if, if it's not your scene, you're not missing that much. Fair enough. And honestly, I don't think that I would run into, like, cosplay clubs in this day and mm -hmm. age. But, I mean, they seem to be... All right, this off-topic. I was going to say, right, one so thing that stuck out about me about Burn Up that was a little interesting, at least at first, before I got bored with the whole thing, was uh, the main character, the blonde girl, Maki, she has a boyfriend on the police force. And it's not its not like some tortured, you know, unspeakable romance. They're actually, like, openly into each other. Yeah, That was kind yeah. of refreshing. Kenji, yeah. um, I wouldn't say main character because Maki's the main character, but the male lead of the project. Mm -hmm. They seem to get a get together and flirt and do all sorts of things. But she, there's another weird scene where Maki's taking a shower. Kenji, oh, they're they're getting ready to hook up, right? Yeah, they're getting ready to hook up, but it, then apparently they're in like what would it be like a Hummer, like a police yeah. Hummer. Which doesn't make any sense for there to be a shower and a police <laughs> That's hummer. That's the joke. I mean, that, that, I mean, yeah, they, they, I, I, it's not a good I, joke, Mike. I just, I took that as a joke, and of course they are they are rudely interrupted because that's always what happens in these kind of shows. Yep. Honestly, um, there's a black police officer named Bamba, <laughs> who they dub in him just popping his head in and going "hello," yep. and I thought that that was just like poorly dubbed, but. It is exactly the same in the subtitles as it is in the dub. It's just him popping in, saying hello in a weird voice, and then interrupting. I'm, I'm curious about that. I mean, it was it was a Japanese guy who was in the original, but like in the English version, that the voice of Bombo was Don Huffman, who never voiced anything before and never voiced anything since. Yeah. Don Huffman, we salute you. Uh, None otherwise, the English cast is kind of interesting. The dub is is poor. It's compelling because it's you, you can tell that like they 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 had the people making it had no idea what they were doing and they were learning as they were going. Yeah, it was a very very that early was one English of their first dubs. in the United yeah, States. Yeah, that was one of the first yeah. dubs that they did, and they did it all in house. And uh, they they had some good talent. Like uh, you know, the leads are played by Amanda and Lee, Kim Yates, and Tiffany Grant. And it's like that's the guns. That's a guns yeah, cast. Yeah, cast. and. Yeah, and Gunsmith's Cats yeah. is great. But this this is just really stiff like, and weird and halting. Yeah, it's poorly mixed as mm. well. I mean, this would be like their second or third crackhead dub, maybe, after Devil Hunter yeah, Yoko. Yeah, I think so. I think like Devil Hunter Yoko would 
was very likely the first one and uh i don't know well, one thing that i noticed too is that it's not just don huffman a lot of the people in the cast like only had one or two roles in this era and that mm-hmm, and that was the only mm-hmm. acting they ever did and uh like one of the one of the names in the dub cast is lorraine reyes uh she was she was their graphic artist she did like you know package design for them <laughs> so they were okay. they were that they were recruiting sense. people from the office yeah yeah which considering that this was really the infancy of anime dubbing in the United States. Well, an, an, anime dubbing sense. for anime fans, and not not just not just for that, TV. You know, you know what? That's true. Yeah, that's what I because think let's not forget that there were plenty of eighty shows that had dubs at the time. But yeah, uh, straight to video anime dubs for not straight from Japan, not kid stuff. Yep, totally unexpected. Those <laughs> types of dubs. So in any event, let's see uh, what happens. Um, Yuka is at a club. She gets kidnapped and sold into white slavery. Mm-hmm. Maki and Remy go to save her by getting a police um, Hummer SUV hybrid that yep. has automatic controls. They sneak yep. in. They save girls mm-hmm. in not particularly good action. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a few scenes that are pretty compelling, like the opening scenes when she's in a motorcycle chase and, uh, and shoots a dude very violently in the head. That's some good stuff. I mean, I think I think the opening scene of that fooled a lot of people. I mean, that's the thing. I've sort of been poisoned over the years by, like, ultra-violent anime and, like, cop shows that are, like, Angel Cop and things like yeah. that. Where maybe seeing it in 1995 or 1996 mm-hmm. would have made an impression on me. Yeah. But, I mean, just seeing it today in 2019... It's not particularly super well animated mm-hmm. in terms of like being like a classic that you'd come back to with OVA animation. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not it's, it's not bubble era. Japan. Well, I mean that that opening scene was done by a guy named Hideyuki Motohashi, and for my money, he is kind of up there with like Yoshinori Kanada and Mitsuo Iso as as one of the the great anime anime animators of the eighties. Uh, he's he's still working. He's been a Detective Conan guy for a long time, but. He right. was animation director on this really wonderful, underappreciated show called Iron Leaguer that was uh, about uh, sports playing robots. Uh, it was, uh, okay. yeah, the, uh, Kunio Okawara, the Gundam mechanical designer. That was like his favorite creative project ever. Yeah, he, uh, he created Iron Leaguer. And, uh, and, and one of my 80s favorites for Japanese animation that is not is really underappreciated is actually a Laserdisc video game. Do you remember those at all? Yeah, yeah. I'm aware of Laserdisc video games. I think I have Night Trap downloaded to my Switch at the moment. Yeah, so. yeah. He, uh, he, he did uh, almost all of the animation for a Laserdisc game called Cobra Command where you fly around a city in a helicopter. And it looks so cool. And there are flashes of that brilliance in this. Like there, Burn Up does have a few moments that it's just like, oh, it looks cool. And they they took all of those moments and they put them in the trailer and they made people buy the goddamn video cassette for twenty four ninety five. They were yeah. stuck with a lemon. Well, and it, not that at kind. At least lemon. it was a complete yeah. lemon, though. Yeah, not that type <laughs> of lemon. We're out of fan fiction days. Yeah. But at least it was a complete story. I yeah, could see how well you done. could pick this up in America and be like. Okay, 50 minutes, I get a complete story. There's some not great action by today's standards, certainly, but it's interesting. I mean, a whole lot of ADV's early releases were one-and-done OVAs with a cute girl that they could put on the cover. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And uh, I I also dug, if if you'll let me continue, I dug into the creative staff of this a little. Yeah, go for it. And I surprised myself. Actually, I forgot to follow up on this, but but, uh, the director, uh, Yasunori Ide, uh, he's he's pretty accomplished himself. He directed episode three of Bubblegum Crisis. Uh, he was the director for mm-hmm. both versions of Hanu Ukiyo Made Team. And uh, he directed the entire Om, uh, Onagai Teacher, Please Teacher. He did that whole franchise. And I think I met him at Anime Central like 2002 or 2003 when that, that crew was... Did he do Onagai yes. Twins? Okay, Onagai Twins is future Shonen Dump. Oh, yeah. You. Or as I like to call it, incest relax. Yeah, I've I've uh, I've seen that show. There sure are a lot of unnecessary bath scenes in that one. But uh, but yeah, it's like I'm pretty sure I actually met this guy. So that's it's a small world after all. I don't think we talked about burn up though. Um, the conversation. Honestly, the conversation burn up is better yeah. left forgotten for. 
Well, I mean, it's 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 the kind of thing where if I met him again, I would absolutely ask about burn up just to be just to be the guy in the room who's like, so tell me about burn up. It's like when Daryl Surratt goes to Otakon and he, he finds the one animator who uh, worked on Crystal Triangle and that's all he wants to talk about. Yeah, well, Daryl Surratt is um, a bad person who I don't like and is probably somebody who is uh, Daryl Surratt's just a bad person. Let's not talk about okay. him. Understood. I don't like Daryl Surratt at all. Understood. Um, the other thing that the last thing I'll close on this in terms of staff. Um, all, this 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 show also featured music by Kenji Kawai, who was one of the, one of the uh-huh. great composers in in Japanese animation. He did uh, a bunch of music for Ghost in the Shell. He's he's actually a regular creative partner of Mamoru Oshii. He did the music for for the, for Pat Labor. Um, you know, lots and lots of good stuff like that. Uh, Irresponsible Captain Tyler was was another one of his. Okay, great show. And uh, also, there was an animation checker. Uh, actually, the, the, the official title that he had was Finish Check, which I never really remember what that means, but I think it's an animation checker. Uh, Kenji Kamiyama, who would uh, eventually direct Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. So, so, so two great talents in the Ghost in the Shell world united for the first time in Burn Up. So what you're telling me is that very talented people worked on Burn Up. Yeah. And this is not a very talented OVA. Mm-hmm. Nope, certainly isn't. All right. So I think Burn Up is out of print at the moment. Well, it's one of those things that I think technically it's out of print, but I think you can still find copies of that DVD pretty easily. Yeah, I think Sentai re-released it um, in 2009 and printed too many copies of it because... I remember picking it up a couple of years ago, and I think they still have stock. There were definitely a few sales uh, in the past few years where you could get it for a dollar ninety nine, and that's, uh, you know, I think that's a fair price. Yeah. What? It's the thing about Burn Up is it's not a. It's one of those things best lost to history because it's not particularly entertaining or great. It doesn't have like. It doesn't have the over-the-top dub and the violence of something like Angel Cop. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the legacy of something like You're Under Arrest. It doesn't have the absolute mastery of something like Bubblegum Crisis yep. or even AD Police. Mm-hmm. I think the most notable thing about Burn Up is just the fact that it just inexplicably launched a franchise, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, and if you were a fan of anime in the 90s or the early 2000s, you definitely have heard of Burn Up. Yeah, you probably couldn't avoid it. It was just on TV somewhere you happened to be. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I will also say that uh, they, uh, ADV released one issue of Burn Up, uh, the American comic from Graphic Visions, their tie-in. Oh, I, I, I can't find freaking scans of it anywhere, and I didn't have time to buy an issue like from eBay. Uh, the cover only has key art from the OVA, so I'm very curious about. I'm sure it's terrible. I'm very curious about what might be. Mike, in there. you put in way too much time on this shitty little anime podcast for this shitty little anime. Oh no, Thomas, that's the point. That's the point. That's what makes us nerds for this stuff. You tell me, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna watch this uh, this crappy old OVA called Burn Up, and it's like I remember Burn Up, and I immediately start digging. Yeah, should have brought you back for the Magnos episode then. Uh, I would I would recommend if you I mean did you do Magnus already or we did okay, Magnus already who did yeah. you talk to uh, about just a couple of friends okay. um, people well known people on okay. Twitter I, but, I would I would know. I would have recommended Neil Nadelman for that because he's uh, he he kind of introduced that to my group of friends and uh, yeah he's I'm hoping to get Neil for Chargeman Ken at some mm-hmm. point yep. Because he translated it, so he'd be a good is, choice. That is his baby. Yep. That is his baby. Well, te- technically, it's my baby. I'm the one who got it licensed. Uh, <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, yeah. I'm learning new things all yeah, the time. Yeah, we, we had uh, an internal conversation uh, about what titles uh, Discotech might be licensing a couple of years ago. Charge Man Ken was on that list, so I pitched it, and I was just like, yeah, this is one of the worst anime ever made, and it's a cult favorite in Japan because of that. And that, oh, that kind of put it over the top. And uh, I'll tell you, one of my favorite anime con memories of all time is showcasing Charge Man Ken as part of the worst anime of all time in my panel about the subject. And then going down the hall and uh, down the escalator to the discotheque panel and announcing we'd licensed it. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. I may have to get you and Neil on that episode if yeah, you're willing yeah, to come back for the show. Yeah, yeah. See if you can figure it out. I'd be interested. All right. Well, I'll talk to him about that, and I think we're at the end of the episode. Nothing in Burn Up is really all that interesting. It's just kind of a throwaway OVA from the 90s. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say it has a couple of moments of brilliance, but it's, it's, it's you know, it's small moments in a pretty big pile of crap. 
I think you're giving it too much credit because I've watched it twice within the last couple of days and just there's nothing exceptional about it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. All right. Well, let's do Twitter plugs. Mike, you work for Discotech. You work for Anime News Network. You doing anything with them right Um, now? I'm working on a couple of stories. The column that I write has kind of been on hiatus for a little while just because I I just haven't had a story ready. Um, But I've I've been working on... uh, pieces on racing anime on uh, the oral history of case closed in america which i just i need to hear from a few other people and that'll be ready Interesting. yeah yeah so I've, I've i've definitely got some irons in the fire you'll be hearing about that soon uh for disco tech my most recent uh creative project has been giant robo um i've i put which i put together what a lot of people are oh, excited yeah, yeah. About. a lot of pent-up demand for that one we're very excited to finally bring that to blu-ray in north america and uh I pitched in what's what is probably going to be about 20 24 pages of liner notes for it mostly about the characters okay. characters and story backgrounds you know st- stuff that if you watch giant robo you might think well what what happened here who are these characters well it's all in the liner notes baby and uh, I'm very Excellent. happy to have helped out with that so look forward to it giant robo definitely one of the series has been well documented mm-hmm. by anime in America the fandom well worth it too because John Robo is really an incredible series of OVAs I'm very very happy it'll be out in public consumption again Uh, yep yes indeed I just hope we have a release date for it soon it's one of those we kind of hope to have it out by summer but uh, there was more work involved than we thought but I wish there was some sort of big anime conventions over the summer where you could potentially announce that type of stuff I will I don't know some sort of expo in California that you could do or some well, type of oats a con you could well, do in there July. Are no, there are no cons about oats, but Oticon is in July and uh, we will be doing a discotheque panel there. We, we should almost certainly have more news about Giant Robo as well as some other, uh, mm. some tasty stuff. So if you're going to Oticon, seek that panel out and say hi to me. Discotech is doing God's work. I mean, the fact that I can get Marmalade Boy on one Blu-ray yep. in standard definition mm-hmm. is fantastic. You can continuously post that horse on that's, that's right. Alright. If you want to check out the podcast, uh, we are on... If you want to check out the podcast, we are on Anchor. <laughs> you go, if you want to... You know what? I'm not editing I was going to say, part. Tom, I'm you got to leave this leave in. completely in. Alright. If you want to check out the podcast, our new home is anchor.fm, uh, the Shonen Dump podcast. Hit me up on Gmail at Shonen Dump Pod. I have a Twitter account, but I'm not using it really to post episodes. Hopefully this will be out pretty quickly. Mike, yeah. it has been a pleasure. It has been a treat. You have probably drank a whole lot less than I have this entire time. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm staying sober tonight. I drink on the weekends. Which is... Oh, okay. Well, again, it's my weekend now. <laughs> there you so go. I'm happy about that. All right. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Uh, check out the podcast archives at Anchor FM. We're on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. We're on everything. I don't think we're on iTunes, but, mm-hmm. you know, they're getting rid of podcasts at some point. So don't worry about iTunes. Just get the RSS feed off of Anchor. It's all about RSS, baby. And, yep. That's what you got to do. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. You have a lovely evening. See you soon, friends. Bye bye now. Thank you.